Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series journey based on the life of Daniel. Today, lead pastor David Fossil looks at one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, three men surviving being cast into a fiery furnace. Join us as he gives us some things we can do if we want to have God's power and presence in our lives. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. Turn to Daniel chapter 3, page 627. You just watched one of the most popular ads from this past Super Bowl. Not only was it an incredibly cute ad, but I think it has a life a principle to teach us. You know, no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try in our own power to make things happen, you know, this, uh, just like the kid in the commercial, couldn't do anything without the intervention of his father, likewise, we can't do anything that has lasting value without the intervention of our Holy Father, with our Heavenly Father. Uh, we are in the midst of this series called Journey. We are talking about what to do in the midst of of difficult trying times. We've looked at some attitudes that we should have. We've looked at some practical applications. This morning we're going to talk about, you know, kind of going off the commercial, but the, the spiritual aspect of having God's power within you in the midst of very difficult and trying situations. I'm assuming the fact that you are here, I'm going to imp- assume that you want God's presence and you want God's power in your life. Um, all the time, but especially in the midst of difficult, trying situations. And so we're going to look at what is easily one of the most famous miracles in the Bible, one of the most popular Sunday school lessons ever taught. It's the story of three Jewish men that get thrown into the furnace because of their unwillingness to bow to an image, to bow to, bow to an idol. So we're going to look at three or four ways to have God's power in our life. We're going to just jump right into Daniel chapter 3. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. Verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So three miles outside of the capital. He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So he, he basically calls upon his cabinet, he calls upon his government Okay, and they have to come and they have to be there for the dedication. Skip verse 3 because they're just kind of repeating what happened. Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, okay, the chief of staff or, or the, the, the guy in charge of, of all the publicity, this is what you are commanded to do. And now notice, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. So it's not just the government that are there. Apparently they've called some sort of national holiday and half of the capital is out there three miles outside and they're also there for the dedication. Verse 5, here's what you're to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples and the nations and men of every language fell down. And they worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So you've got military leaders, political leaders, religious leaders are all summoned to the plain of Dura. It's about three miles outside of the capital. Historians tell us that there were a minimum of 15,000 people there, a maximum of 100,000 people. Now, anytime you get that many people together, whether it's for a sporting event or for a concert or for the dedication of an image, you've got the typical things that always happen, right? I'm sure there were all kinds of food vendors 
Because you're going out there, you're there for a couple hours, so there's the guy selling churros and the guy with the burrito truck, and everybody's trying to make a buck. They're selling waters and Cokes for two bucks a piece, you know, because this is the time to do it. They got guys selling t-shirts and little toys and things for the kids, and, and you know, people, you know, they know they're going to be there for a while, so they bring out their lawn chairs, you know, like parents do at soccer games for the kids, you know, so they set up the lawn chair and they got the big tent, you know, they're tailgating, they're going to cook some brats and some tri-tip, you know, they're, they're doing it up well. Someone brings out a beach ball and they're hitting the beach ball around, and then they do the wave, you know, this happened right here in Daniel chapter 3, first time it ever happened, they're doing the wave, whoa, they almost lost my podium, they're doing the wave, they're all excited, and all of a sudden, they hear the roar of three thundering chariots that come in, and they know the big boss man just came. Nebuchadnezzar has just showed up on the scene, and the crowd goes crazy. I mean, imagine 100,000 people cheering. And the reason for it is that even though Nebuchadnezzar is an incredibly cruel leader to his enemies, he single-handedly has made their country, their nation, the world power of the day. And they get all the fringe benefits that come along with that. Eventually, he gets situated on the stage, and, and they get the PA system, and, and his, his chief of staff communicates what's going to happen, the order of service. We're going to have a few testimonies. We're going to have a power presentation. And then when you hear the band start playing, that's your cue. That's when you get on your knees and you put your forehead to the ground. And we're going to bow down to this image, 90 feet tall. It's, it, it was more likely either an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself or one of the pagan gods, Babylonian gods. And as they bowed down, it was symbolically to represent that we are giving our allegiance to the king and we are submitting to the Babylonian gods. That's what it meant to be. It's what we typically refer to as idolatry, as idolatry. Now, the very first principle is this. If you want God's power and presence in your life, one of the things that we all have to do is we have to be able to identify any idols or potential idols in our life. Now, right away, some of us are thinking, well, I don't bow down to anything. I don't have any statue that I bow down to in my home. You know, I've never done what they do here in Daniel chapter 3. How can this possibly apply to me? Normally, we think of idolatry as, as what we just read here in Daniel 3 or someone carving out some wood thing in the middle of the Amazon jungle and some tribal people doing it. You know, idolatry is not for sophisticated, educated people like us. But the reality is that biblically, when you understand what an idol and what idolatry is, you will very quickly realize that idolatry is alive and well in our society, in our culture, in our church. It is such a significant thing that Jesus put it in one of the top ten most important commands that we are to follow and obey. So let me make sure we understand what an idol is. Let's put the definition on the screen. An idol, very simply, is anything that I value more than I value God. Now, very quickly, that opens up the spectrum, right? Anything that I value more than I value God, whether it's an image or a statue like 90 feet tall in Daniel 3 or anything else. Now, just so we're clear, I said you had to identify any actual or potential idols, and we all have those, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be honest with you. I, your pastor actually have potential idols in my life. I'm not kidding you. Things that in my life, at times, I have valued more than God. Let me give you three or four. Let's put the first one up there. FC Barcelona. That's the soccer team of the, of the, of the city that I grew up in. Right now, it is the best team in the world. It's fantastic. Just a week or two ago, I got together with a couple guys here at church, and my team, FC Barcelona, was playing their team, Arsenal, an English team. And my team just kicked their butt, and it made me feel warm inside. I felt very good about it. I like this team so much. A lot of times they play on Sunday morning. Guess what I'm thinking about in between services? 
wonder how they're doing. I hope they're doing good. You know why? Because I love that team. I do. And if I'm not careful, I can allow it to become more important to me than even my relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me give you another major potential idol in my life. Let's put it up there. My family. I love that group of people, especially the hottie standing next to me, the blonde. I can even make this sound godly and spiritual. Have you ever said or heard someone said, family's number one in my life? Really? Uh, <clears throat> there's some verses in this book that would say, you ought to be careful if you say that and you live that. Because you have just turned a gift of God, your family, into a potential idol. You value it more than you value your relationship with God. Let me give you another potential idol of mine. Let's put it up there. You do know pastors struggle with that, don't, don't you? You know times, at times in my, what, 16, 17 years as your pastor, there have been times where I've caught myself and I've realized, you know, I am actually giving more effort, more value, and more love to the church that I serve than the God that I serve. Now, I could give, go on and on about idols, but let's just cut to the chase. You know my favorite idol, the one I like the most? Put it up there. I love that guy. Now, I'm half teasing, but I'm half serious. You see, because the Bible says that every one of us has a sin nature within us. Every single one of us. No one is exempt. Even when you come to Christ, this sin nature is trying to gobble up who we are in Christ. And that sin nature at the core is selfish. And the minute you go, ah, oh, that's just not me, you're just playing games. Every single one of us at the core is interested in our comfort. And, and, and our, our, everything good for us, my selfishness. You have to admit it. Now, do I value any one of these things more than God? It depends what stage in my life, to be perfectly honest with you. So let's just talk about all potential idols. Let's put the next slide up there. You can be, your idol can be family, it can be money, it can be power, it can be popularity, especially if you're a student. It can be sex. I'm more interested in sex than my relationship with God. Exercise and making myself look good. People make that an idol. Getting married. You know people that go, I'm more interested in getting married. I don't care who I get married to. I don't, you know, that's more important to me than my relationship with God. Uh, a hobby, sports, either playing sports or a sports team, like I mentioned to you, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your career, your house house or your car, comfort or yourself. Any one of these can be an idol. Now, are any of these wrong? No, not necessarily. In fact, they could be gifts from God. Here's the issue. Anytime you allow any of these things to take a spot higher than where you place God in your life, it has just, by very definition, biblically become an idol to you. You go, well, why are you making such a big deal about it? Very simply, here's the big deal. Do you want God's power and presence in your life? Start there. Do you want that? The minute you have any idol in your life, you have just made yourself exempt of experiencing his power and presence as you otherwise could. That's the issue. That's what I'm telling you. The issue is don't get rid of these. I, it's, I can't, it doesn't mean that I can't stop being a soccer fanatic or I can't stop loving my family, but I need to rearrange them and make sure God is number one. Bible adds three things about idols. Let me show you. First of all, idols are disappoint you. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 14. Those who make idols are disillusioned because the gods they make are false and lifeless. Right now, my soccer team is winning over. And they don't lose. They just keep winning. They just keep winning. They keep winning. You know what's going to happen? In a couple months, in a couple years, they're not going to win anymore. It's just how sports work. 
and they're going to let me down. And you know what? My family can let me down, and my church can let me down, and any other potential idol can let me down. It will also dominate you. It begins to control you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Before you knew Christ, you were controlled by dead idols who always led you astray. We talk about people who are workaholics. And when we say that, here's what we mean. We mean that someone is working so hard and they're so committed to their career that they're willing to neglect other more important things like their health or like their spiritual condition or like their family. Is there anything wrong with working hard? No, the Bible wants you to work hard. Is there anything wrong with working 60 hours a week? Occasionally, you've got to do that. But if you're always giving everything you got to your job, to your career, guess what's just happened? It has just become your idol. It doesn't sound as, much, as nice as being a workaholic, but that's what it is. And then idols will deform you. They change who we are. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They actually begin to control us and change us. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about it. Is there anything in your life that is more valuable to you than your relationship with Jesus Christ? Whatever the Holy Spirit popped in your head, you don't necessarily have to get rid of it, but you have to rearrange and you have to put God number one. Why? Because then you get his power, and then you get his presence in greater fashion than you otherwise would. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, the story continues on. At that time, some astrologers came forward, denounced the Jews. Anytime you want to do good, you can expect people that are going to come beside you and try and knock you down. They said, King O O Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. So they brown nose, they kiss up to them. They basically repeat the command in verse 10 and 11. We pick up the story in verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O King. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold uh, who you have set up. So they're disrespecting you. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before them. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Now notice he calls them by name. He knows these guys. They've just been rewarded because they've graduated top of their class in Babylon University. And he's given them all kinds of privileges. Is it true that you don't serve my gods, worship my image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of this horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, parps, and all kinds, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. In other words, I'm going to get the worship team back up here. They're going to do the song again, and I'm going to give you a second chance. You guys ready? I'm, I'm giving you a second chance. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You see... Ultimately, here's the second thing we have to struggle with. When we are in a difficult situation, will we choose integrity or holiness, or will we choose comfort? Think about it. When you're at school with students that want to do something, will you choose popularity and comfort, or will you choose integrity and holiness? When all, everybody at work is, is filling out the expense reports a certain way, will you choose integrity and holiness or will you choose comfort? When you're writing that paper for college and everybody's getting their sources online and they're just kind of, you know, fudging it a little bit and that's just the way they do things nowadays, are you going to choose integrity and holiness or are you going to choose comf- uh, uh, or comfort? What are you going to choose? You see, he, here's the reality. When we are pushed into difficult situations, we are going to be tempted to bend and to compromise. 
I want you to imagine these three guys. 100,000 people, three guys. Think about all the excuses they could have come up with. That we come up with. Check it out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bow, but we're not going to really mean it. We'll, we'll just pray to our God. No one will ever know, but, you know, we won't get in trouble that way. We're going to do it, but then we'll ask for forgiveness because God's a forgiving God. Check it out. Here's, you know, we're just respecting the boss. You know, God wants us to respect the boss. I have a family. I have kids. I have responsibilities. They can't have dad die, so I'm just going to do this real quick. You know what? If we get killed, what's going to happen is Nebuchadnezzar is going to put some evil men in charge, and then we won't have the opportunity to influence for good. I mean, they could have kept coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. I want to come up with something, you know. Let's just, you know, pretend like we're tying our shoe or drop some change, and we'll just, you know, pick the change up or something, and no one will know. But these three amigos are like, no way. No way. We are going to do what's right, even though it's difficult. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to bend. Can you imagine their conversation? Uh, so, so, so we're standing, right? Are we standing? I'm not standing. If you're not standing, okay, we're going to stand. Right? You standing? They're all going down. The music, they're going. You know? Come on, Slim Shady, please stand up. Please stand up. And, just, you, and they stood, and right away they saw it, right? Who are those three dudes over there in section 220? Why aren't they bowing down? Oh, well, they, uh, they're not willing to compromise. Thinking about compromise, I, I thought of one of the great philosophers of our day, and of course I'm thinking about, let's put it up on the screen, Jack Bauer. <laughs> Some of you follow Jack Bauer, right, in 24. It's a fun show. He was a federal agent, right? And every, every, episode, every season, he's trying to solve some impossible situation in 24 hours. And they always call Jack Bauer to solve the situation. Why? Because he won't compromise. He's, he's fully committed to his responsibilities as an agent to the United States of America. And in the first season, he gets into this big argument with his boss because he turned some of his agents in because they took a bribe. It's kind of interesting, the conversation he has with his boss. Let me show you what he says. Let's put it up there. You can look the other way once, it's no big deal, except it makes it easier for you to compromise the next time. Isn't that just the truth? I'll compromise just this one time, but the second time it comes up, it's so much easier to do it. And then pretty soon, that's all you're doing, compromising, because that's how you think things are done. You, you know those guys I blew the whistle on? You think they were bad guys? They weren't bad guys. They were just like you and me, except they compromised once. Solomon says it a little bit different in the book of Proverbs. Here's how he says it. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 25 to 27 from the message. Like a muddied fountain and a polluted spring is a righteous man who yields, falls down, and compromises his integrity. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything that right now you are doing that you feel you are compromising God's standards? You know what I'm talking about, like, you know, like how we're planning on filling out the tax return in a couple months. Are, are you going to do what they're telling you to do, or are you going to do the right thing and put in the right numbers? You know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I, we're told that, you know, God wants us to save ourselves for our spouse, but you know what? She's hot, and she's willing to give it up, so I'm just going to do it. I know, I know that the Bible says that if I drink, I should be under control of the Holy Spirit and not be controlled, but you know what? It's just so much fun to do it. It's just so much fun to lose control. 
you know what, everybody's filling out the expenses reports that they're doing like we see. You know, and you can just go on and on and on. Everyone is doing it. No one's getting upset at you. But here's what I'm asking you. Is the Holy Spirit whispering in your soul and saying, but from God's perspective, that's wrong. It's wrong. But it's such a small thing. That's the point. Ten seconds, that's all you got to do. Just bow for ten seconds and you can stand up. Such a small thing. Just do it, get it over with, then you go back to worshiping real God. But these three guys go, no. We're not going to do that. If you want God's power, if you want God's presence in your life, especially in the midst of difficult times, always choose integrity. Always choose holiness, even at the expense of comfort. Always do that. Let's keep reading. Verse 16, the story goes on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves uh, before you in this matter. I like that verse. We're not going to argue with you. King, you're, you're the king. You can do whatever you want. You know what? And it's your kingdom. It's your show. So if that's what you want to do, that's what you're going to do. Verse 17. Boy, this sounds like a worship song, verse 17. Check it out. But if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's our God. Right? We sung like four songs about this earlier. He's a good God, and he's a big God, and he's a great God, and he's going to move mountains for me. Okay. Verse 18 is probably the most honest verse in this chapter. But, even if he does not, and he doesn't sometime, does he? He doesn't bail you out every time, does he? Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You see, one of the things that very, very quickly comes up in this section is the idea, if you want God's power and his presence, you have to be willing to trust him and to obey him in spite of the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. Are you willing to do that? I'm going to throw you into the furnace unless you do what I want you to do. Well, are you going to obey God or are you going to obey what society tells you or big King Nebuchadnezzar here? Well, if, if, if I don't, do, I'm going to get burned. That's the point. Do you, can you trust him in spite of circumstances or consequences? Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. This guy certainly has an anger problem. You might pick it up if you read it again. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, commanded the strongest soldiers in his army to tie Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He wasn't even thinking. He killed his own guys. Verse 26, And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. You see, here's the reality of the Christian walk. The reality is that for some of you, it's going to cost you a whole lot. A whole lot. For some of you, your story will end right here. I mean, imagine that. Can you imagine if Daniel chapter 3, there's no, that's it, that's the end of the story. You see, we ruin it because we know the end of the story. 
But the reality is that many followers of Christ get thrown into the furnace, their life falls apart, and God says, obey me anyway, trust me anyway, follow me anyway, and my life still falls apart. It's called faith. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. I was talking to the elder board, the leadership team, about two weeks ago, we were looking and studying a passage in the Bible that talks about, you know what, I, one of the things, one of my pet peeves, I don't know if I've ever told you this, I, it drives me crazy, is when I hear any American Christians talk about being persecuted. It drives me crazy. I want to kick them in the throat. Why? Just read the internet. We aren't being persecuted. You've got to be kidding me. So we're teased a little bit at high school. Maybe we didn't get a promotion. Boo-hoo! That is nowhere near persecution. Well, my family looks at me a little funny at Thanksgiving. Big deal. That is no way close persecution. This is persecution. You're going to die. There you go. We're going to kill you. Last I checked, that hasn't happened to many Americans here, here in the United States lately. But it happens all the time around the world. You do know this, right? You know that 40 million Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, 40 million have died in the last 100 years. More Christians have died in the last 100 years than in the previous 2,000 years combined. I'll just throw some stories at you. There's one of the famous stories is the story of the 40 martyrs of Sebaste. The year was 320. It was Armenia. Emperor Licinius wanted to get rid of as many Christians as he could, started to persecute, discovered that there were 40 soldiers in this one battalion that had confessed Christ. It was the dead of winter in Armenia, which is very right there close to Russia, and he basically said, here's, here's what's going to happen. He stripped them naked. And, uh, of course, you can't put that in a painting that appears on a church, but that's what he did. He stripped them naked, walked them out to a frozen pond, and he says, okay, you've got two options. You deny Christ as your Savior and Lord, or you stay here all night and freeze to death. As the story is told, one out of the 40 couldn't handle it. One out of the 40 walked back in and put his clothes on and says, I'm done with this Jesus thing. But in the morning, one of the guards that was watching all this happen, that was watching those other 39 unwilling to deny Jesus Christ, one of the guards said, you know what? I think I believe now. And he took his clothes off and he went and stood with them and they froze to death. Then you got the story of Petrus Christian, a part-time pastor Indonesia, October of 1996, he was burned alive with his kids in that church because they didn't like what he was teaching. Then, of course, many of you have heard the story of Jim Elliott, killed by Alka Indians in Ecuador in the 1956 because of trying to evangelize the Indian population there. The story of Pastor Florescu, Romania, during the communist days, 1960, he's arrested because he's proclaiming Christ as the Savior. And they go, very simple, we're, we're going to take you in. You can be released at any point in time if you stop preaching Christ. I can't do it, he says. So they tortured him and prodded him with uh, iron, hot iron. Then they put uh, starving rats, they said, into his cell. Starving rats, you, you know, trying to get him away. Then they made him stand for two weeks straight, so he's absolutely exhausted. He wouldn't, he wouldn't back down. So then what they said, okay, we know what's going to happen. They went and got his teenage son. And they started beating him right in front of him. And after a while of that, he said to his son who was getting beaten, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm, I'm, I'll, I won't do it anymore. 
I'll back down. And his son said to him this, quote, Don't do it, Dad. Don't. Don't do me the injustice of denying Christ. If they kill us, we will die with the words Jesus on our lips. My favorite story is the story of the Bishop of Polycarp. He's one of the first martyrs that ever happened. He's an older guy, and as the story is told, it is recounting outside of Bible and historical accounts. The Roman soldiers, centurions came and said, here's all you got to do. We're going to let you be. Here's all you got to say. Caesar is Lord. Three words. That's all you got to say. We'll leave you alone. I'm not going to do it, he said. Well, well you know, we're going to kill you. I'm not going to do it. Here's what he said. Eighty-six years I have served Jesus, and never he did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? We're going to throw you to the wild animals, whatever. We're going to burn you. And this is what he said. You threaten me with fire that burns for a short time, but is soon quenched? You don't know about the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. He, start, he smacks talk him. You're going to burn me? You haven't even heard about the eternal fire of hell, have you? That's what you got waiting for you. And he ends, what are you waiting for? Do what you will. And he was burned alive. But I, I don't have to go back to 155 to tell you stories. Just pull it up on the internet. Less than two weeks ago, about 10 to 15 Coptic Christians were killed in Egypt, youngest one being 11 years old. Every single week, brothers and sisters in Christ, people we will spend eternity with, are dying because of their faith. You go, why are you pushing this so hard? Are you willing to obey him, trust him, in spite of circumstances and consequences, even to that point? You see, if you can get to that point, tomorrow morning when you go to school is going to be a piece of cake. When you go back in your family situation, when you go to be at work, no problem if you're willing to go that far. And I'm telling you, this word says, someday, in the end days, Every Christian around the world will be persecuted, including the United States of America. I don't know if it's going to be my generation or my kids' generation or a generation after that, but it's coming. And the Bible goes on to say, you know what? Churches will thin out real quickly. Maybe Bay Hills won't need three services on Sunday morning. Are you willing to do that? What do I get out of it? You get his presence. You get his power. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of chapter 3. How does this whole thing end? Well, the whole thing ends by us realizing God always delivers. He always comes through. Verse 24, let's wrap it up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look. I see four men walking around the fire, uh, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God's. He looks through the little peephole or something, and he goes, well, check, were there three that we threw in or four? Three. By the way, just out of interest's sake, one of the big questions that is asked in this chapter is, where is Daniel? Where the heck is Daniel? I mean, it's his book. He's the hero of the story. Where, he's nowhere to be found. We don't know if he's on a business trip. We don't know if he's homesick. He's certainly not here. Which, oh, by the way, you're going to learn and you're going to have to learn how to stand up for what is right without your youth pastor and without your senior pastor and without your small group leader and without your mom and dad. Someday, you're going to have to stand up on your own. 
just like they did. And he looks into the people, he goes, I see four guys in there. Now, we don't know if it's an angel that God has sent, or most believe that it was Jesus Christ himself, pre-incarnate from the New Testament. I don't know who it is, but here's what we do know. God's behind it. God's behind it. And so verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Say traps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. Yeah, I would think so. They saw that their fire had not harmed their bodies, nor a hair on their heads was singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. You see, there's three ways God delivers. Three ways. Let's put it on the screen. We're going to wrap up. He's going to deliver you out of this situation. He's going to do for some of you what he did for these three guys. Wouldn't that be great if he did that all the time? Can you imagine how many people would be lined up the doors to become a Christian? You mean when bad things happen to me, I get a special fire ring and he takes me out of the furnace? Yep, just become a Christian. That's all you got to do. And check it out. If you're in church for three years straight and you tithe, we give you an earthquake ring for free. It's a wonderful, it's hard to do, but you get that as a bonus as well. And automatically Christianity becomes fire insurance. It's not. It's not sometimes your life gets harder. That's what the Bible says. Now, the good part is sometimes he does the first bullet point. He's going to deliver you out of the situation. Boom, take you out. He's going to solve that problem. He's going to give you the job. Finances turn around. You find the perfect spouse, whatever. There's reconciliation in the family, in the marriage. Sometimes he does that. And sometimes he doesn't. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and he defied the king's command, but, and, and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own. You know what? Sometimes he takes you out of the situation, and sometimes he delivers you through the situation. A lot, of, a lot of people think that the last part of the chapter is the best part. Oh, my goodness, they didn't get burned. They come out, Nebuchadnezzar praises God. It's a wonderful day. You know what the best part, I think, is? It's when they're in the furnace. That's the best part. Can you imagine? They were standing there thinking, it's it. It's over. This is our, we're, we're going to die right now. They're getting ready to push. This is it. You know, have you ever had that morbid thought, I wonder how I'm going to die? They, they knew, and we're going to burn alive. That's how we die. And the one thing they wanted to avoid turned out to be the can't-miss experience of their life. Because in the furnace, they met God. Can you imagine what they said to Daniel when they bumped into him? Dude, man, you missed out. And so many of us live our lives wanting to avoid the furnace. Don't try to avoid the furnace. Why? Because God says to you the same thing he said to those in Daniel chapter 3. I'll meet you in the furnace. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to be right there with you. And the reality is that for some of us, he's not going to make it easier, but he'll be right there with us. And the last is that he delivers us beyond the situation. That's basically giving everything you have. That's martyrdom. And it's not, I'm not trying to be morbid. It's right here in the story, and it's what God's word says is eventually going to happen. 
I don't want to think about it, but it's in there. I've told you I like soccer, and they talk about British soccer fans. We call them hooligans, don't we? Because we say they, they drink a lot, and they create a ruckus, and you know, that kind of stuff. Right? And they're not well behaved. But there's a tradition in England that started with a small, smaller team called Liverpool that has expanded to most of the teams in England. And before the game or after the game, when their team is winning or losing, they sing a song. Some of you will recognize it. It's a song that was sung in the 50s. Um, they sing it at soccer stadiums today, and I want you to listen to the words. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and a sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind. Walk on through the rain. Though your dreams may be tossed and blown, walk on. Walk on. With your hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. You going through a tough time? God wanted you to be here today to make sure you heard him say you will never walk alone. Life may not be easy, but you will never walk alone. You want his power? You want his presence? Make sure he's number one, that you don't have any idols. Make sure that you obey him even though it's not comfortable. Make sure you trust him in spite of whatever consequence comes your way. Let's close in a word of prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder if you would consider how Nebuchadnezzar responded to what he saw. I'm impressed that instead of becoming hardened in his heart, he became humble in his heart and he accepted the truth of God. Maybe you're here today and um, you've never accepted the truth of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if this morning you would allow your heart to be humble that you would allow your heart to embrace Jesus Christ for who he was, the one who died on the cross from your sin, the one who can give you salvation. If that's your desire today, I want you just to, to pray that real quickly. You and God say yes to Jesus this morning. Our primary emphasis this morning have has been to talk about those who feel like they're in the furnace. Some of you feel that way this day. You feel that way physically, your body's given out. You feel that way financially or in your career. You feel that way with your family or your marriage. It's just falling apart. Some of us are here today and we got some problems. Big or small, we got problems. Sometimes it was our fault, sometimes not. There's no embarrassment or shame. The reality is that that's what's life. At the end of each of our study times over the last couple weeks, we've had a time where we wanted to pray for those that were going through the furnace. And we're going to do it a little bit different today. If, if you are feeling that way today, if you're feeling, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some issues. And right or wrong, big or small, no embarrassment or shame. If that's you today, I want you to stand where you are right now. Just do it right now. Do it right now. Many around this congregation, very good. Stand right now. Here's what we're going to do. 
last couple weeks, I've had you come forward. I'm not going to have you do that. We've had the elders pray for you. We've had the staff pray for you. I'm not going to do that today. Today, we're going to be a family. Here's what we're going to do. If there's someone around you that is standing, I want you to look up. I want you to stand with them. I want you to put your hand on their shoulder. Do it right now. Nothing magical about putting your hand on someone's shoulder. It just represents that we are going to be praying for you. I'm going to pray here in a moment. Someone in the back. Please make sure someone stands with someone in the back. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, for those who stood, you know what they're going through. You know what they're experiencing. Father, I pray that you would fill them with your courage your courage to keep persevering even though they feel like giving up. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would fill them with your grace and with your mercy. When they want to hurt back those that have hurt them, that they would instead give what you gave to us. Father, I pray that you would fill them with your love. Fill them with your peace so that at night they can rest and they can sleep instead of going throughout the day and throughout the night sleepless worried and concerned about what they're going through but father more than anything else i pray that you would fill them with your wisdom and with the presence of your holy spirit father i pray that they would know that no matter what they go through no matter what they've done they will not walk alone we will stand beside them but most importantly you will be with them you will be their presence and you will be their strength Heavenly Father, it would be great if we could wave a magic wand and the furnace would go away and the flames would be no more, but that's not the reality. And so we choose to say what these three young Jewish men said, even if you don't take the problem away, even if we stay in the furnace, we will choose to worship our God because he is a good God and he is the one true God. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's all stand and let's sing one more time before we pray again. And Father, I pray for those that are struggling that you would encourage them. Father, I pray for those of us that aren't going through difficult times that we would praise you and that we would take the time to notice others around us that are going through tough times, that that we could be your encouragement to them. We love you and we thank you for what you've taught us this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.